We're in week five of our annual discipleship campaign, The Gospel, Living the Good News of Jesus Christ. This week, Matt Pierce has done an excellent job in bringing us through this subject of the gospel and relationship. All relationship flows out of relationship with God. In fact, relationship with Him is the most important relationship any of us can ever have. Jesus paid a great price on the cross to forgive our sins so that we could come to God and have relationship with Him. And so we're going to be talking this week more about who God is as a relational trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how they submit to one another, how they love one another. And that's going to translate out into how we have relationship with ourselves, how we have relationship with other people, and even to how we have relationship with the world, meaning the world system led by the evil one. For we are believers who are in the world, but not to be of it. And so this week, we're hoping that the things that we're learning will help us to capitalize on all the relationships that God gives us, that we'll see those relationships redemptively. And we will learn together how to use those relationships to model for people the love of God and what it really means to live in relationship with God and with people who are living out the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 22. Today we are in week five of our discipleship campaign, the gospel, living the good news of Jesus Christ. This section here in Matthew 22 really cracks me up because what's happening, you get the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the members of the Jewish ruling council and these experts in the law of God, they're coming to Jesus and they're giving him Bible quizzes as though they're going to win this thing. And uh, they're asking God questions about his knowledge of the Bible. There's no way they're going to win this thing. So, having silenced the Sadducees, and they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. So they are sad, you see. That's how you remember them. The Pharisees do believe in the resurrection. Well, when the Pharisees saw the Sadducees get blown out by Jesus' answer, the Pharisees stepped up and tried to test him. Here's what it says in Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you're a relational God who did everything required to make relationship with us possible. And now because you have loved us, we can learn to love one another. As we look at these two great commandments, I pray today that you will help us to see how living out the gospel is good for relationships. And we'll thank you for all that you'll show us in Jesus' name. Amen. It was literally a million-dollar question, and the contestant seemed ready to answer it. The old show was called Do You Want to Be a Millionaire or Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It was hosted by Regis Philbin. 
And the question was this, how far is the earth from the sun? Now, if you've ever seen this old show, you know they gave them four answers. The first was 930,000 miles, 9.3 million miles, 93 million miles, or 930 million miles. Without hesitation, the contestant said, C, 93 million miles, final answer. And then there's that tension of, did he get it right? And boom, he did. And he was a million dollars richer. Well, you know, there was a time when Jesus was asked a question you wouldn't want to miss. There wasn't a million dollars hanging in the balance, but the very key to life itself was hanging in the balance. Not for him, but for all of us who would believe whether or not we would accept his answer. The question was a test delivered by an expert in the Bible who asked him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus didn't hesitate, and his answer was all about relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, God is a relational trinity. There is one God who exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are all equally God. Don't try to get your brain around it. It's infinite. We don't even have capacity to figure out how three could be one, but they are. And these three live in this relational unity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And all love and relational unity flows out of the Godhead to all of us. It's the kind of relational unity God wants all of us to experience with him and with each other. And all of that is made possible by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in week five, as we mentioned, the gospel, living the good news of Jesus Christ. This is not just about getting more stuff packed in our head. This is how we live out this good news as God has called us to do. We've been learning so far that the gospel is the good news of the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Jesus and the eternal life it brings to everyone who believes that and receives it. We've also learned that it's all by grace. God does this. It isn't any works we've done or ever will do or because of things we haven't done. It's purely by God's grace. Now as Christians, our works become important because now it's God working in us and through us to achieve his purpose, works we were created to do, to bring glory and honor to him. We aren't saved by these works. These works now bring glory to God. And when Christ comes to live in us, we learned last week, we're a new creation, a brand new person made in the image of God. The new is here. And now Jesus tells this Pharisee that the greatest commandments, summing up all of the Scripture, has to do with relationships. Relationships that are made possible and transformed by the gospel. The gospel is good news of our most important relationships. What relationships are those? Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. The gospel is good news for our relationship with God. Matthew said in verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I was reading a piece by Rich Tatum, I believe he's a pastor from Grand Rapids, Michigan, who was telling about his eight-year-old son they were lounging out together in the back room. The son was on the couch. Dad was in a chair, and they were both reading. 
when all of a sudden the eight-year-old said, Dad, what does ponder mean? He said, I wasn't sure when I last used that word, but I wish for a dictionary because I've learned with my son, if I give him a definition and he reads later that I wasn't exactly right, he comes back around and lets me know. So I was under the gun. What does ponder mean? So I said to him, well, ponder means you're wondering or thinking about things. Like you might say, I'm pondering the meaning of life. And he said, as soon as I said that, I said, oh, no, I made another mistake. I tossed out the meaning of life. Now my son's going to ask me what the meaning of life is, and I'm never going to be able to get it right. And I always end these questions with, I don't know, it's a mystery, and I sound like a dummy. But to my humbled surprise, he said, my son was way ahead of me. And my eight-year-old said, Dad, I already know the meaning of life. You do, I asked him. Yeah, it's to love God. He said, I was floored by that. My eight-year-old has figured out the key to the meaning of life. It is to love God. Since loving God is the key to life, then we're in trouble because we can't love God. We can't even know God because of the sin that's in all of our lives. We can know about God, and a lot of people do, but they don't know him, and there's a big difference. Not knowing God is to be separated from him, which is the very definition of death, but the good news is when we were powerless to do anything, God did something. In fact, our memory verse from a week or so ago was 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. God demonstrated that love when he sacrificed Jesus on the cross, which is why Paul told the Corinthians, the gospel I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You see, being religious won't bring you into relationship with God. But believing the gospel will. Christianity is not just a religion. It is a relationship with God. That's why Jesus didn't answer the Pharisees' question about commandments with more religion. But he talked to them about relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Everything related to life flows out of a relationship with God. That's why Jesus told the disciples at the Last Supper in John 17, verse 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That word know is significant. It's the difference between knowing about God and really knowing him. It's the word for intimate knowledge, the same kind of word that's used to describe a man and a wife who know each other in every way intimacy is possible. So too, we are to have that kind of knowing of God. Religion will never do that for you. You see, that's why you can be very religious and very spiritual and not know God. It's one of Satan's cleverest tricks. The world is full of religious people. The world is full of people who say, I'm very spiritual, and as though somehow that counts for something. People can be very religious and very spiritual and not know God, just like the Jewish leader Nicodemus who Pastor Matt this week talks about at length in the workbook. 
Pastor Matt's done a masterful job unfolding the story of this very decent, very devout, very religious man named Nicodemus. And Jesus told him our memory verse for this week. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, born spiritually, alive, made new in Christ. Matt said in John chapter 3, we learned that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but not just any Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This designation tells us that he was wealthy, distinguished, highly educated, and devout. He was not only respected in the religious circles of his day, but he was also a powerful political figure. Based on outward appearances, Nicodemus should have been able to write the book on God. So what was making him anxious? And why would this prominent figure risk his reputation and maybe even his career sneaking around in back alleys at night to meet with this Jesus who is considered to be a troublemaker and a heretic? Nicodemus, Matt said, had seen the miracles performed by Jesus and in his heart knew that Jesus somehow was connected to God. But even after all his years of religious study, obedience to the law and public service, Nicodemus knew that he himself wasn't connected to God, at least not in the way he knew he wanted to be. Sure, he knew a lot about God, but did he really know God? Nicodemus was struggling with his faith like so many of us. So he took a big risk and went to Jesus alone at night in secret, searching for the truth. And the truth Jesus revealed to Nicodemus that night was the gospel. The good news about the true nature of God and the depth of his sacrifice that he was willing to make on behalf of sinful people everywhere. Nicodemus heard the gospel that night. And apparently something changed in him. What changed was his relationship with God. The gospel does that to people who believe it. When people believe the gospel, they become reconciled to God. We learned last week that moves, they, they move from being an enemy of God in their sin to being a friend of God in relationship with him. That's what Paul experienced. He was devoutly religious, zealous for God, he thought, but he didn't know God until he met Jesus. And when he heard the gospel, it changed him. And he wrote to the Romans in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. If you don't have this Christ in you by believing the gospel, you have no hope of ever seeing God or his glory. Paul went on to say in verse 6, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, our relationship with God lost because of sin has been restored and made new. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. People, God is not just some distant deity. God is a father. He's your father. When the Spirit of God comes to live in you, and he'll testify then that your spirit and his spirit are together in relationship, that we are children of God. Romans 8, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Remember in the workbook this week, Pastor Matt asked the question, how does it make you feel when you hear people talking badly about God? I used to be one of those. I threw his name around like a piece of garbage. But now I know him. When I hear people talking about God like that, it grieves me. Because God is my father now. And I know him. Now we can live in a love relationship with God, a God we can know, living out the fulfillment of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. People, that's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. And not only relationship with God, but the gospel is good news for our relationship with others. Jesus went on to say in verse 39, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. My grandson, Owen, is three years old. He's turning four in a couple of weeks. I had him in the car with me the other day, and I said, oh, wait, I, I got to go to the grocery store. I want to go with you, Bumpa. I said, okay, you can come. And I said, you know what? I love having you with me because I love you. And he said, I love you too, Bampa. And he said, I love everyone. <laughs> I love good guys, and I love bad guys. But I don't love the tickle monster. <laughs> and I said, oh, you love the bad guys? Yep. I love the bad guys too. And they love me. <laughs> and I thought, Owen, you have no idea how much you sound like Jesus right now. Because I can tell you only Jesus loves the bad guys. And I'm really glad he does. Because I was one of them. If Jesus doesn't love the bad guys, I'm lost. And so are you. Because the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory. And he loves us still. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. The gospel is the good news that empowers us to do that because I can assure you, I can't love God, but I can't love you either without God's help. I can't. I have a hard enough time loving people that are nice to me, much less the bad guys. The gospel empowers us to love our fellow Christians, which, by the way, we are commanded to do. Jesus said in the upper room at the Last Supper, John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. See, the one another's were the other disciples, and one of the greatest testimonies of people believing the gospel is their love for their fellow believers. Unless we have some false idea of this, doesn't mean we like each other all that much, doesn't mean we enjoy each other's personalities. There are Christians today who don't like me very much, and to be honest, I don't like their personality very much either, but I love them and they love me. And when we've disagreed, our love for each other causes us to work out stuff and to treat each other with respect as brothers and sisters, and we learn with God's help to get along. And I assure you, that's what makes us different than the rest of the world. And Jesus said, when the world sees that kind of love going on between people who at times don't even like each other, they're going to know something's up. And that something is God. John knew a lot about this. That's why when he wrote in his first letter, he said, 1 John 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Boy, does it ever. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's the gospel. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I read a piece by Curtis Lundgren once from a marriage seminar he was doing, and he said, you know what? The way we treat each other is evidence of what we think of God. And it isn't just loving Christians that the gospel changes. Now we can love and have relationship with unbelievers, even those who are at times our enemies. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew said in Matthew 5, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect is the Greek word teleos, which means finished or having reached its end. And what Jesus was telling him was, look, when you love like this, when you love people who persecute you, and you can love people who even are your enemies, you will know that the perfecting love of God is being accomplished in your life. And you are reaching the end or becoming more like Jesus. God loved us when we were his enemies. Now he wants us to love our enemies through us. He wants to love them through us. People, it doesn't mean we're passive and let people run all over us and threaten us. But it does mean we don't harbor bitterness, we do forgive, and we begin to see people the way God sees them, as lost and in needing of him, needing to hear the gospel. People, I haven't shared this before, and I'm, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail because I don't, I'm not, this is not about sensationalizing anything. God is sovereign. He does what he wants. A while ago, we had a guy break into our house with a gun, grab my daughter. I was in a back room. I didn't even know what was going on. When I came out, he's holding my daughter at gunpoint, and when I saw him, there was a rage that grew in me so quickly, I lunged at him. Why he didn't shoot me is the providence of God. He grabbed some things and ran. I was so angry. I, mean, I was seething. I wanted to kill this guy. If I had a gun, I would have shot him. If I had a knife, I would have stabbed him. I chased after him. I couldn't catch him. And if I had, I'd have killed him or he'd have killed me. There'd have been no in-between. That's how angry I was, raged towards this guy. When that rage settled down, most amazing things started to happen. I felt love for this kid. I thought, God, where is this coming from? I'm feeling compassion for him. I'm thinking, who in the world, what kind of a life does a kid have to live to go around doing stuff like this? God reminds me, Larry, that's not you. That's me. I love him. You don't. I'm starting to show you what I feel for this kid. I hate what he did too, but it's all for a purpose. And I've begun praying for him. And if God ever allows me to see him again, hopefully not in my house, but if he ever allows me to see him again, <laughs> I'm serious. My desire is to share Christ with him and help him to know that God loves him. People, the point is this, that's not me. 
I have to tell you, I can assure you that's not me. The first guy was me. The second guy is God. Pastor Matt said this week, hearing the gospel causes people to do some heavy soul searching. When God saves you and the Spirit gives life to your spirit, your eyes are open to many things. You begin asking questions that you never even thought of before. You see things differently. You ponder things that never seemed important before. You've been enlightened. God moves you from darkness into his marvelous light. The eyes of your heart are opened. You have the mind of Christ. You have new life. You're alive for the first time spiritually. You know things others don't know. You have a new mind and a new heart. You're connected to God. You love God and you want to please him. You now look at the world differently. You look at people differently. You look at God differently. And if you're honest, you even look at yourself differently. That's what the gospel does. And you look at that guy that broke into our house and you think, except for the grace of God, that's me. That's me. And maybe if people like him can hear the gospel, he could change too. People, this is not some Pollyanna approach to the fact of evil. Evil is real. Evil is real, and we have enemies. But how we respond to them and how we see them changes when we believe the gospel and Christ comes to live in us. People, this is why we do missions. Not because the people of the world are our enemies, but because we actually have God's heart in us and we begin to see them the way God sees them. We can love them. They're lost without a shepherd. And we realize that without the gospel, people will be lost and so we, by God's grace, seek to fulfill the great commission to be goers and senders to all nations, motivated by our love for God and his love for them, which is now alive in us. And we have to remember that while we love the world like God does, we are never to love the world system, that system that's opposed to God. John was very careful to say in 1 John 2, verse 15, do not love the world, that anti-God world system. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, it's a world system. You know it well. You feel its influence all the time. It's led by Satan himself who's trying to draw our attention away from God. So he gives us the lust of our flesh. He gives us the lust of our eyes, the, the, the pride of life. We're always after something else. And Satan's happy to supply it. As Christians, our goal is not to lust less. is to direct that lust the way God intended it to be. We don't often use that word that way. Do you know Jesus used it? So did the Apostle Paul. The lust is not the problem. The lust is a passion to have something or someone. That lust or that passion directed toward evil ends up being bad, but that lust towards God ends up being a passion for him. 
In fact, when Jesus and Paul use that word, it's translated in the scriptures, a passion for God or a desire for God, but it's exactly the same word of lust that we're not to have for the world. We're to instead have it for God. I was reading a piece by David Haig from a book called The Obedience Option. I'll spare you the details. He was talking to a young man, too many of the details anyway, who had a habit of sleeping around. He was a college guy, and he was sowing his oats, to say the least. The young man said he knew it was wrong, but he said he claimed that his sexual lust was inevitable, and therefore it wasn't his fault, especially since God had created him with such strong desires and urges. Finally, David Hegg interrupted the man. He said, look, suppose I came into your room while you and your girlfriend are in the midst of one of these inevitable urges. And I pulled out of my pocket 10 $100 bills, and I said, you can keep going with her or you can have the money. He said, I'd stop in a heartbeat. And he said, whatever happened to your inevitable lust? Haig went on to say, we both realized a very simple truth. One passion may seem irresistible until a greater passion comes along. And if we take this principle into the arena of the righteous, it comes out like this. The only way to overcome a passion for sin is with an overwhelming passion for righteousness. The only way to overcome a lust for the world is to develop an all-consuming passion for God. The gospel changes our relationship with the world. You fall in love with God and you desire to have a relationship with Him and you see the world differently. As hymn writer Helen Lemmel once wrote, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Paul told the Romans in Romans 15, verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. In a sermon that uh, Bob Page preached, he's a pastor in Crystal Lake, Illinois, he was talking about another pastor friend of his named Steve Yezchek, who lost his sister Judy after a five-year battle with cancer. She was a woman who, as Steve described her, a party animal, a big drinker with a self-contented lifestyle. She was someone everybody loved because she exuded excitement and a thrill for life. When Steve tried to share Jesus with her over the years, she would laugh it off and keep partying, but at the age of 44, her world caved in. She found out she had breast cancer. She later learned her husband had cancer too, and adding to the devastation of these two blows, she discovered her husband was having an affair. And he subsequently announced he didn't love her anymore, and he left her. It was in that context that she began to ask eternal questions. And she started listening to the gospel. 
And she prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. From that time until her death, Jesus and his word and purpose became her priority. With the same gusto she lived life as an unbeliever, she now approached her new life in Christ. Her greatest aim was winning others to Christ. She boldly shared her faith, even as she was undergoing surgery after surgery, praying for a miraculous healing from the Lord. Judy ultimately came to see that the greater miracle would be for her friends and family to come to know Christ. Even as she struggled for every breath, she talked her way out of the hospital about 10 days before her death so that she could be baptized because she wanted to publicly proclaim Christ as the only way of salvation. Judy invited everyone she knew to come to her baptism service. And under the Spirit's anointing, she powerfully and urgently preached the gospel in her testimony. Her 84-year-old father came to Christ that night. And he was baptized along with her ex-husband, a number of nieces, a college roommate who was a New Age cultist. Her aunt came to Christ. Her sister turned to the Lord and many others. Ten days later, Judy died. And even still more came to know Christ as their Savior. And when Steve, her brother, read the gospel message that Judy had prepared for her own funeral service. Her brother finished and gave an invitation, and a hundred people came forward to give their hearts to Christ. A hundred at her memorial service. People, the gospel is the good news of Jesus that changes people, and it changes their relationships. It changes their relationship with God. It changes their relationship with others. And it changes our relationship with the world. Jesus was asked the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? His answer was about relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Pastor Matt wrote this week in the workbook, what a life this could be if we would only grab hold of the fact that we're not called to morality for the sake of our obedience but instead we're called to love him and each other for the sake of God's glory. People, all of that is made possible by the gospel when we believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Matt concluded the gospel is the good news about what God has done through Christ on behalf of sinners just like you and me. This news changes everything. It changes our lives, our relationship with God and others and the world we live in. The gospel demands a human response. We cannot remain unchanged once God's Spirit blows into our hearts and gives us new birth. People, that's good news. That's the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the power of God that he wants to live out 
in our relationship with him and through us in our relationship with others in a lost world. Father, I want to thank you for this powerful reminder. The gospel changes relationships. It changed our relationship with you. We went from enemies to friends. It changes how we see each other, whether it's Christians or unbelieving world, even our enemies. And it's a God, it's a God thing that you are using in our lives that are still bringing people to Christ when they see the good news lived out in us. Thank you, God, for coming to live in us and for the good news for all our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.